Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash idlebooks for your free audiobook download. Welcome to the Idle Book Club. This month we're discussing By Blood by Ellen Ullman. Welcome to the Idle Book Club for March 2013. I'm Chris Remo. And I'm Sean Vanneman. And, and this, this month... <laughs> go ahead. This month we've read uh, By Blood by Ellen Ullman, uh, a book set in the 70s in San Francisco. And we picked this book... I think we judged this book by its cover. I think you, <laughs> like, I, you think I did. Judged it by I was its like, cover. this has got a nice cover. It and then which I, it does. I read just enough to know that it was set in San Francisco, which we thought was great. Because we're in San Francisco, if you didn't know that. Um, well, 70s, which is aesthetic we like. And um, it's also written, Ellen Ullman is a former computer programmer. And uh, Chris and I work in the video game industry. And that was just sort of another wrinkle. And it all kind of seemed like something we should go look at. Yeah, although I didn't know any of this. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> I didn't know since. So for me, um, it's funny because I some people have mentioned to us, well, just guys only read stuff set in the Bay area or what? And, uh, I, I wasn't even aware of that until I started reading. I oh, was actually, funny. it was cool because it uh-huh. was, I, you know, immediately she starts, um, she has the protagonist talking about taking the end Judah streetcar and mm-hmm. going to his office and the financial district and all of these things. He lives, in the, lives, in, San Francisco, yeah. he lives yeah. in the outer sunset. If you live in San Francisco, these are all very right. mundane, ordinary things that right. are, that are, you know, you're accustomed to hearing about all the time. Well, what's crazy is the office building that he is fictionally in is either a refictionalization of my buddy Oscar's apartment, which is across the street from the Palace Hotel, or Oscar's apartment is across the street from where this is actually set oh, on New Montgomery. New yeah. Montgomery and Market, I spend like a ton of time right there just yeah. because I have a very good friend who lives there. But um, I actually want to ask you about the setting. Well, do, should we? But I want to see what you thought about it. Just okay. Got, what did you think about the book? I have more mixed feelings about this book than anything we've read. So I agree. Far. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured you would. Um, I think this is a book that I'm glad I read that I think is deeply flawed. Yeah. Yeah. I think this book is about a hundred pages too long. I agree. I entirely yeah. agree. Yeah. Possibly even more pages too long. And, and you know what made it feel like it was too long mm-hmm. was the end. The end of the book mm. comes I, to the I end. I felt like, that way long before It came the to the book. end like a novella. Or like a short story. Well, that I agree with. Right. And I was like, what? This feels that- like a novella in a novel's clothing for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's talk about what this book is really quickly first. Um, because this actually won't take very long, which right. I think is part of why right. it feels like a novella to us. Because it's um, 375 pages or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a substantial yeah, novel. it's a novel. Typical novel. Yeah. Um, the story is told from the perspective of a disgraced college professor who has moved to San Francisco in the wake of some kind of scandal that you, you we assume has something to do with with sexual misconduct or harassment or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And um, and he takes an office in a, finan- a San Francisco financial district um, office building to give himself somewhere to go every day, which I think anyone who's finds himself without a, a sort of daily nine to five office, it's a need you, you, you will have mm-hmm. um, potentially depending on the type of person you are. I certainly I've been in that position and he, while in this office, ends up becoming the uh, 
inadvertent ongoing voyeur to a psychotherapist and one of her patients who is struggling through um, the uh, her her various um, feelings and kind of neuroses about being an adopted child. And over the course of what seems to be about a year and a half or so, does yeah. that seem about right to it you? It was a year and three because months. Because there's two Thanksgivings. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember him actually months. saying it's about okay. a year and three okay. months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he overhears and ends up becoming a principal agent in the uncovering of the family story of this patient's um, biological mother. Right. Um, and I found this, I found the structure of this book incredibly compelling. Same. Um, I found the relationship between, I found the relationship between the principal character and all the other characters in the book, which was entirely indirect. This character never sees, does not even in fact know what the other characters look like for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, which is very interesting. He has Mm -hmm. all kinds of assumptions and, and, um, it's very weirdly specific beliefs about what they each must look like. Right. Um, and he has a huge amount, a, a, a distressing and disturbing amount of age, of impact on this woman's life, the patient's right. life. Um, Attachment that is disturbing and then impact that mm-hmm. – like then, it then decides to take action. Yeah. He essentially forges a bunch of documents to like help her find her birth mother mm-hmm. who's in Israel who Which, um, is a – who was – it's complex. You've read the book by this. Yeah. yeah it who's, who's, yes. A Holocaust survivor is the best way to describe it, but it's more complex than that. Uh, and it's a book about, I mean, it's funny. Ugh, I don't know how I actually feel about any of the characters. I, but again, I thought the, it was so compelling. I was always really compelled when the, when the therapist was talking to her patient mm-hmm. and then I couldn't stand the protagonist Mm -hmm. because at one point like it's all written in the first person but when he's over when he's listening through the walls to this to their weekly would become bi-weekly sessions um the voice almost just feels like dictation like he's just sort of transcribing Yeah, i agree that was unbelievable to me it's good yeah you know first person narrative is always tough i mean it's tough as a construct to begin with right Mm -hmm. nobody has the amount of utter recall that would be demanded right to write a book in first person narrative. So usually the book is actually agree is egregious in that at one point. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. and so usually that's treated as kind of an abstraction and right. the book and the author kind of glosses over it. Um, this book really, um, really grounds the, the first person conceit in such a specific way that it draws my attention to how, how much it's asking me to suspend my disbelief right. and the author's ability to, to recall not to, because this is the thing. It's not just the narrator's the, ability. The nar- not just the narrator, okay. but also in addition to that, compounded by the incredible recall apparently exhibited by the patient as well. So you have right. one character That's recalling word for word what another character is apparently recalling word for word. Often, then that character will be recalling something Somebody else. else I know. There's the most. Agree- well, not even just the mother. Mm-hmm. It goes. It goes once. This gets some inception levels of <laughs> deep shit here. It's. Then so we have Ellen Ullman, the author. Then the narrator listening through the walls mm-hmm. to the patient who's talking about going to Israel and meeting her sister, mm-hmm. who is ta- who is recounting word for word a story that was told to her by her mother. Because it goes, Michelle, 
uh, what was the girl's name at the very end? Lenny. It goes Michelle, Lenny, the patient, the narrator. It goes four levels of deep word for word. And it was the most egregious. It was like probably 15 pages before the end. I don't even know. Is that like deep second person? Uh, I don't know how you would describe that. I feel like there are ways to deal with that fictionally, which is choosing to present passages as not direct quotation. Exactly. Or interspersing bits of direct quotation for the moments where you do expect the person a turn of phrase would, would right. have severe impact. Yeah, because like, um, sometimes something does the way somebody yeah. words something does strike you. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah, but... And the thing that I want to I go past this and say, this, is, that, this kind of narrative device I don't think is necessarily a fatal flaw in fiction. What I think kept me from being able to buy it fully was that I was never a huge fan of the narrator's voice to begin with. No. Um, I, I, I appreciate what Ullman was trying to do. He has, he has this incredibly fastidious attitude where everything is observed precisely. And he is, he is very, um, he uses language in, in an incredibly specific way. Right. He, you get, he's clearly a professor of, he's also an obsessive or, compulsive. or something like that. Right. He's clearly has some, some kind of obsessive yeah. compulsive thing going on. Uh, but it, it gets so over the top sometimes that it, it genuinely, it starts to feel like this guy actually just comes from a different era or something and i that to me was, he feels like an alien yeah and it, actually i don't even think it's an era thing it feels like he sure. feels like an alien yeah. to me mm-hmm. yeah and which is maybe what she was going for. it might be what she's going for but the thing is, is so there, displaced sure yeah. but there were times where i felt there she she depicted his state of mind incredibly beautifully and i and those are the times i think when she is um portraying um, sort of a, a state of nervous indecisiveness or irrational decision making. That stuff I felt was incredibly successful and incredibly evocative. Um, and that to me, those were the parts that grounded that character. And so it made the the parts where he's where he's just getting weirdly analytical about nothing. It just made them seem like filler to me. And it might right. very well be the case that that character those. would would be that way. Right. Um, but I think as fiction, it's one of the things that made this book just seem like it had too many pages in it. Yeah. I got so used to the rhythm of those moments mm-hmm. when he would get analytical and almost descriptive in an obsessive way and not in a colorful way mm-hmm. that I would just – going i literally it was like driving a car like i was just in third gear the entire time yeah and i would just right. downshift and go you, kind of, you tune yeah. out of it actually yeah. yeah and it was just this like this rhythm because he would fall into them pretty regularly so i want to i want to read a passage this is an entire chapter a lot of these chapters are quite short yeah um sometimes is, half a page yeah this in fact this one is um oh. this is chapter 21 on page 65 of the hardcover and this was something i thought was successful so i want to I'm curious to hear. The, mm-hmm. And to me, this is emblematic. There's a, there, there are a number of sections like this that to me were the things that I think uh, Ullman did well. Um, so he says, again, the patient circled the vestibule awaiting the elevator. Uh, this is, this is, um, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll just read. As before her breathing came toward me and faded away, toward me and away, her breath still laden with unshed tears. Oh, I longed to stroke those sorrowing shoulders that did not wish to be touched. How I wish she could find the way to her tears. Suddenly the impulse to follow her took hold of me. It was as if my flock of crows, my large, fat, shiny crows, the short that the sort that looked like small vultures, as if they had flapped up from a dense tree to cut crazy angles around me and shout, her, her, her. So did the desire present itself to my imagination, which, as I have said, was morbid and afflicted at the time. Her, her, her. 
All the many psychologists, counselors, therapists, and psychiatrists who had plied their trades upon me would have trembled to learn what had become of their charge, the ruinous uses to which their work had been put. Her, her, her. The elevator was a conspirator. Still, it did not arrive. Still, the patient paced the hall. There was yet time for damage to be done. I struggled against the impulse. I thought of the day I had first entered the building, the flash of white, the lobby as immaculate as my desire for normalcy, the cherubs who floated above, their circling eyes watching over all the inhabitants, the sheets of marble lining the corridor in procession, beyond all the cool inner breath of the place, which sighed, it will be all right here. And at last I was freed. Finally came the twin whispers that signal my release, the shush of the elevator doors closing, the suspirations of the sound machine come on once again. So that to me is both... (laughs) I think both successful in using his um, kind of obsessive, over-analytical, overthinking nature to depict w- or to to um, illustrate what is quite often his choice, which is just to do nothing, which is just to be completely passive. Um, and I like that it's applying such an overactive mental state to no effect. But it also, even in there there are examples of the kind of sentence that that can get overbearing when mm-hmm. you're just reading it for page after page after page mm-hmm. when he when he's applying because this is pivotal this is a moment where he could have seen the patient he could have actually right. followed her he could have had some kind of physical contact if he had surrendered to those uh, desires um so to me i feel like Ullman kind of buys it in that situation yeah but and it's I, also I wish early it, it's like page 20 not page but it's yeah. chapter 21 yeah 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 so like I learned all this, these things about him then I learned where his line was, what he was willing to do later. He actually follows a woman and her son, which I loved, which I thought was, that was great. Yeah. Did you ever, I mean, somebody mentioned this on the forums mm-hmm. on the, um, did you ever see the Christopher Nolan film, his first one following? No. You should check it out. Okay. Like, yeah. You, I think you would actually uh, like, like, it's this, very like psychological it and it's really Spartan. Mm-hmm. So I think you would, you would dig it. But, um, yeah, just, it reminded me of that. But I, so I learned where his lines are because of the decisions he makes like this one right mm-hmm. and then i just sort of stopped learning about this guy yeah. she would drop like a thread mm-hmm. every 50 pages or so and, and i'd be does, like whoa that's a that's whoa. A, yeah Those so i felt like moments. she had i felt like that was a choice and i felt she she was teasing a little bit with that stuff and i really liked that but it felt like it was way too like it felt it just it was too long in between no, those I, moments. I agree. I agree. It was. But I, whenever she would drop one, it was like boom. it was a big deal. I mean, I remember yeah. the first time he mentioned the crows. I mean, that just came inserted in right. the middle of nowhere, and it, and I was fascinated by it because right. I had no idea what he meant by that. Right? Because because you, you just I mean, and that's kind of initially just, the guy seems weird, but you don't necessarily. But know. he's the narrator, so you're going to yeah. have this relationship mm-hmm. with him, and I mean, that's mm-hmm. just sort of like like fiction crit studies one on one stuff where you're building that relationship with the narrator of an unreliable narrator of a crazy narrator of one you don't like of one you can't trust. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody you do trust. Maybe you start to like admire the narrator, you know, yeah. and that's all part of the process of digesting fiction, which I love. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I just stopped doing that yeah. because I, I like by 200 pages in, I was like, okay, I know this guy. And it just felt like somebody I knew in real life where I just stopped learning about them. Mm-hmm. Cause like, there was no more water in the pool, <laughs> you know? It's funny, the, the the kind of dichotomy you bring up, it's funny because I actually wrote down a note that just literally says, slow release of suggestions about prospective characters' mental state versus just endless heavy interiority. Right. You know, I mean, that's kind of a silly, silly sentence. But, like, that was the thing I was struggling with this entire book, was how interesting right. it is when she does dole it out and then how much seems like it was, it's just, it's, 
just monologue, 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 or whatever uh-huh. the interior version of monologue right. is. Um, it actually reminds you know what this book really reminded me of. Um, un, unfortunately, unfavorably by comparison, um, is uh, this book "Sight for Sore Eyes" by Ruth Rendell. Do you know? Do you know Ruth Rendell? I didn't know her before a few years ago. She's a British crime writer who is, um, I think, huge in the UK, and I think does well here, but is mm-hmm. particularly big in her in her native country. And um, she had a new book that came out that was a sequel to a book she wrote in, in 1998 called a site, a site for sore eyes. And the new book was called the fault. Anyway, I picked up her book because she, she did a signing at my local bookstore in Boston. Um, and I just figured why not. And so I picked up the original and the new one and I, and the original book is very interesting. It's really, it's a, it's about a character who commits a crime and it's largely from his perspective. Um, but the book is more of an interior character study of this guy and about the personality type that would result in the thing he does mm-hmm. and the circumstances that surround him and the impact he has on mm-hmm. other people around him and how they perceive him versus how he mm-hmm. projects himself and so on. And it, it re it, this book seemed like it was trying to do a lot of what that book did. And it, it was, it was, I say an unfavorable comparison because there was so much of the, just additional stuff here. yeah I, the, I, i'm not being very illuminating with that comparison i'm sort of bringing it up just as an excuse to say you should read a cypher sore eyes by ruth rendell because it's really 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 good it's really compelling and it's a uh-huh. really good twist on crime fiction like it's that doesn't read like an airport crime novel mm-hmm. um but it still is really compelling and entertaining mm-hmm. um anyway um i was gonna ask you a question mm-hmm. kind of about that Oh yeah, that is. Lead. So you said there was an event in that book that, or the thing that he did, is sort of the fulcrum of that novel. Yeah. So I was kind of expecting that here, mm-hmm. and it's not. The thing that he's doing is the fulcrum of the novel, but like, there's so much stuff that you just expect to come back on him. I don't know. This is gonna. I don't know if I actually believe I'm about to say it, but I think this <laughs> book needed a twist or something mm. because it. Like I said, I want to get to the ending because it ends like a novella. Yeah. Basically, he just gets busted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved that though. I mean, I thought that was an incredible that moment where yeah. where the the doctor kind of pieces it together and realize and sort of confirms what she has been slowly suspecting that there's this weird guy who's yeah. But then they're just going to keep their like she goes back in and turns like so. Actually, this the, the kind of the, the real fine detail that allows the entire book to take place is he can't listen to any other patients because the the therapist has this like white noise sound machine mm-hmm. it just sort of like mm-hmm. or whatever is a, kind of what i imagined yeah so it makes it very hard to over it words don't yeah. come through and he the, finds the white it noise. irritating generally right and but so does this patient yeah so she makes the, um the doctor dr schuler yeah. uh turn it off whenever she's there so that's how he first kind of plucks her out of the many mm-hmm. patients that you assume that this therapist has but you never hear of and so in the end of the book, she pieces together that somebody must be listening and kind of operating behind the scenes because mm-hmm. she kind of cracks it. Yeah. In a very sort of for reasons that that makes sense, I think, given I think I think Ullman did actually a pretty good job of seeding that stuff well over the course of the book. Uh, I didn't. So? It felt like it came out of it was just sort of like, aha, it felt like a eureka. But she had heard him cough before and there was the right. But it's a long it's a far cry from a cough 
to I know the doctor has this seen the person manufactured a human being at an adoption agency that may or may not exist yeah. in order to get sure. my patient to go to Israel to find yeah. her mother. Yeah, like, yeah. <clears throat> it's like I, I know who it is. Like, it felt like. Yeah, I remember just when the drama For some started. Reason, I was willing. I, it might have just been that I was willing right. to buy into it. You know, maybe right. maybe it's less that it was all there and more right. that I was so compelled by the staging of that scene. That I, I thought was, the execution that of that was scene was great. Go for it. But I was like, I remember when the drama of that scene started, and I knew I had three pages left. I was like, mm-hmm. son <laughs> of a bitch! <laughs> like I just right, knew. Right, right, like right, right. she busts him, but doesn't actually get ever yeah. see him. She just pounds on his door and then goes back inside. She said and the patient and her sort of realize what has happened and she goes, I'm sorry, I have to do this. And she kicks on the sound machine. Yeah. Um, and I, now sort of drowning say, our, our narrator out of their conversation. I could be giving Ullman more credit than, than is, than is due. It's entirely possible that the doctor had been hearing little things here and there for a year and a half that the, that the protagonist just hadn't been cataloging because he didn't, he wasn't aware. You know what right. I mean? Like it's, it's entirely possible that the doctor had been accruing, evidence on her own that right. was more subtle than the the two or three big moments that that are represented in the direction you know what might narrative. be interesting is so the the one thing you do get every once in a while is the therapist doc, dr Schuler calling her sort of her mentor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and kind of talking through or leaving it almost oh no she takes some dictation too Mm-hmm. Uh, which well, I like. I like that part a lot. I, I did too. I thought that was interesting. Um, for her mentor to say, okay, I have three, these three patients who I'm visiting with. Yeah. Patient three is causing me these problems. Patient three being um, one of the primary character, the primary character of the book. And um, it'd be interesting to go back and look at those missives, whether they're phone calls or those mm-hmm. transcriptions, and see if they could be construed to be her asking for advice and thinking that maybe somebody's listening to their sessions. Mm. I don't think so. I don't think so either, but that's an interesting hypothesis. But I wonder if I were to go back Uh and look at them, Mm -hmm. if I thought of the sort of like the unspoken subcon, like unspoken um, mental story of the therapist, that stuff could be in there. Because it didn't feel like she was ever working on it. There was the one cough, and that was a good moment. Yeah. But that was it. Well, there was right? also the moment where she walked by as the landlord was kind of appraising the room oh, right, and, the, right, and right. the guy was like ducking out of the way and he didn't think he got seen, but it wasn't entirely clear. But between between um, just the insane circumstances that the narrator has to go through or put himself in to be able to yeah. overhear these sessions, mm-hmm. he sits in his office with no lights on mm-hmm. doing all of his work and reading by flashlight. Yeah. So she doesn't see the light on. He um, sh- has a, like a regimented schedule of yeah. when he shows up and when he leaves. <laughs> yeah. And then doesn't move. Between, the yeah. So there's, time. I feel like she plants that. Yeah. She plants the sound machine. Mm-hmm. She plants the guard yeah. in the lobby. Right. Who's sort of like, his, like yeah, who's her narrator's nemesis. Yeah. Then the idea that the landlord wants to move the, move our, the narrator uh, to a different office, to a different, to like a similar, mm-hmm square footage but different place in the building all those things start to pile up of all these things of like how is he going to get busted and i expected there to be a broader event sure i see what you're saying and so then i was sort of and the the thing with the with getting his office moved never really it meant nothing. it seemed like the it seemed like the events of the book went on a really long time without ever right. following up on that yeah exactly and the, in fact the, the and also him getting this book yeah. was always a lot greater than i 
thought it was right. based on the not I don't know why, but it always seemed like more time was passing yeah. than I expected. And just the, the the just literally the tone and execution of the final page felt like the final page of a hundred and twenty page book. To oh, I, I totally agree. It has that heightened reality and sort of almost um, like it's even v- maybe just almost sort of reading weird morality play kind of. Not, yeah. not that there's a moral, no, but like, it felt like the end. It felt like of, the end of a Twilight Zone. The yeah, same sort of tone, even exactly. though there was nothing supernatural yeah. about it. Yeah. Um. So Doctor Schiller's pounding on the door, and he says, "For a slim second, I think of revealing myself, doing as she commands. Open the door, confess my existence, the role I had played. I almost welcomed it. Discovery. Then abruptly, Doctor Schuler stepped back, returned to her office, slammed the door. I always knew there was something strange about that room. She said to the patient. You mean someone in there is listening? Is listening now? I should not have told you, but there were calls, breathing. I feared, forgive me, this outburst, it should not have happened, but now we have no choice. Yes, said the patient, no choice. That right there is exactly Oof. the tone of, yeah. <laughs> we were all together for one long moment more. Then came a click, and the breath of the sound machine rose like a foul mist on the air, thick as a closing curtain designed to hide the patient from me forever before we had come to the end. Yeah. Like, it ends I, it, like. It's the most I, Maybe I'm a yeah. dick for, like, kind of reading mm-hmm. it. Like, I'm. This is actually something funny. So, my wife and I, mm-hmm. whenever we take trips, read scary story to scary stories to each other uh-huh. in either like hotel rooms or tents or uh-huh, something uh-huh. it's just like and that's like how you would end a story right that's yeah, how yeah, i would yeah. read it in that no, voice I know, I know, so I, I apologies to, to ellen Ullman. no no i think i think that's fair <laughs> but uh, text. um <laughs> it does remind me though that there was also the incident where uh, he, he calls, called her because he was he pissed because yeah. he was really mm-hmm. pissed and he was gonna like tell and her he just breathes into the phone and she does actually go to the wall and suspect at that moment yeah because she thinks she hears the same thing through the phone that she does through the wall. Right, right. Yeah. So I anyway, guess there was that moment too. Um, so one thing I think we should we should um, actually you want to take a break here real quick and then well let's at least yeah let's say, say thanks to our sponsor Audible. Um, yeah, so audiblepodcast.com is our sponsor this week, and you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash idlebooks and you get a free thirty day trial and a free audiobook that's yours to keep. Yeah, um, yeah. I did it before we were ever doing this, so I didn't. I think I probably. I listened to a lot of this American Life, so maybe that's how I ended <laughs> that's up there. Right, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, they've been uh, really great to us, and uh, you might want to check out. I think both. I don't know if Cosmic Comics is up there. Did you look? But I, I imagine Wolf Hall is Wolf definitely Hall. Wolf Hall is up there. Those are the next two books we're reading in that order: Cosmic Comics and uh, Wolf Hall. So maybe check out Wolf Hall on audiobook. I've kind of threatened to do that with Chris, and he's like, "Oh, like that could be interesting." But I, I yeah, don't really know. I would be really curious to, to hear how that goes. Um. And I know that past books we've read have been on there. I know Sense of an Ending was, and people had really high reviews mm-hmm. of that audiobook. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a cool service. You yeah. Check it out. And uh, the app is really good, surprisingly. Um, it's like really, really great. Like it's a really well made app, and I enjoy using it. So yeah, I want to thank Audible. Audible, and yeah, go to audiblepodcast.com slash idlebooks and get them <laughs> the get those the, things the books your book you get a month what yeah could you want yeah they also i think do like a daily digest of the new york times or the wall street journal like an audible an audio digest so i think that's part of your subscription too which is a little value add if you're on the fence cool so yeah um well i'm, I'm thinking about listening uh, i'm gonna seg watch this mm-hmm no, I'm not actually. <laughs> well, actually, no, I'll say something I actually liked. So I was going to listen. I'm going to, I think I'm going to try to listen to Wolf Hall because I, I live in San Francisco, but I work uh, like 20 miles away in Marin and it's actually just a 20 minute drive. It's perfect. But I go over the Golden Gate Bridge. It's like the most incredible drive you can have mm-hmm. to and from. 
never any traffic. It's wonderful. But like it's classic San Francisco iconography, like the yeah. Golden Gate Bridge never makes an appearance in this book. Mm-hmm. Neither does the Bay Bridge. Neither do the th- yeah, sort of like true. Telegraph Hill, Quite Tower, mm-hmm. those things, mm-hmm. which kind of was I like similar. That. I, like I liked that, it too because yeah. it actually reminded me of Zodiac. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> because I totally the Golden agree. Gate Bridge is never in Zodiac. Well, and that was something that I actually liked about. And Zodiac is in the Zodiac Killers in this book. He is. Yeah. Which and is actually, great. I like even that. Even though it's totally kind of playing to the gallery, uh, you know, as a San Franciscan, right. I did really enjoy the moments where this specific era broke through the perception of this very inward looking character. You know, right. I mean, this guy is so it self-absorbed. It needed the setting. So, you like, know, it, it I needed it. It I, needed I something. And it needed yeah. like that's st- like he, he sort of like ruminates on the Patty Hearst, mm-hmm. um, what you would call it saga. Yeah. And, uh, I thought that stuff was all really great. And he, I was kind of waiting for the last three pages. Just he's, he is the Zodiac killer. That's kind of what I was waiting for. Yeah. Oh God! Incredible! Incredible! Oh my God, Sean! Um, uh, and sending these fake yeah messages right to the right, chronicle right, right as well. That's also been happening in between the, the sure. lines in between his fake uh, uh, adoption agency. Right, 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 right. Oh, I'm also the Zodiac killer. And then twist. there were also two separate it's moments. Not the twist that she should have added. There were two separate moments that I found really interesting, where he he kind of in one case almost violently in another case, just kind of uncomfortably um, butts up against um, San Francisco gay culture. I love that stuff. I thought they were great. I thought that was fantastic. It I thought it was a really nothing. good – It well, it meant nothing in the literal plot, but I thought right. it was a really good externalization of this character's just general kind of sexual dysfunction and, right. and sort of being thrust into an overtly right. um, kind of sexualized environment, just right. how – just destroyed he gets by yeah that. yeah i thought that was yeah. really interesting yeah he ends up uh he hears his patient talk about a bar mm-hmm. that you find out is like a really aggressive lesbian seems like bar. that must have been out in like and he in, goes there. in like Petrero Petrero. hill yeah yeah, yeah that's right what I okay thought too. Yeah, 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 yeah i think almost considering we both yanked that out of yeah. thin air that must yeah, be yeah, yeah. kind of what we were talking about so he goes there and just sort of like gets essentially bullied out by a gang of lesbians. Yeah. Um, and they call him a perv and a creep and stuff like this. Right. Because he's the only guy there. Yeah. And then how did, and then doesn't he go from there? He's like, I'll just pop in here and ends up in I think, was that a, the same night a leather bar. Where he ends up all the way at the Castro and then. Yeah. I think it's the same night. Was which it? sort yeah. of felt like a little sort of. A little contrived. Contrived and like yeah. Mr. Magooish to me. Sure. Like, yeah. oh, all this, <laughs> like he's got like his, like his like rain slick right. jacket. He's got like those, his, those are those his trench coat are and his umbrella in San no. Francisco. And they're also like you. Yeah. There are those scenes and like those cutaways in Arrested Development where like Buster would like wander into a place like that, you know, and <laughs> right. that's what it felt like to me. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, look, yeah. I've seen these places, yeah. you know, like it's like it's you shouldn't be shocked. And he was so surprised when he'd go into these, when he, you know, like I, I wanted more I sort of that. I bought really I, bought I wanted his... more of curiosity of like he kind of knew like it felt like he was subconsciously feeding his sexual dysfunction mm-hmm. as opposed to just being like, whoa, whoa why? I could never, whoa. Yeah. you know, and he felt so befuddled that I was like, please, I, I've, I didn't like the execution given, on those. Given the given the like fact the that he now. was kind of a cloistered academic who seemed very withdrawn from the world, I I wasn't I wasn't super put off by that. Yeah, I guess I don't know. It did felt this a little too. If I mean, it, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't want to get into issues off the rail intent, like what she was trying to do with those things. But um, they didn't quite just didn't ring true. true to That's me. fair enough. Yeah. Um, I did. I did think. 
the moment where he catches the eye of the young guy in the in the gay bar, uh-huh. I thought was really interesting. Yeah, where it sort of it it was. I I really thought I really enjoyed the moments where Ullman hints at the guy's past life. Yeah, you know, and I think we've right. both indicated we wish we were there was less of the stuff surrounding it. Um, yeah, and I I like that because that that was not I wouldn't have expected that based uh-huh. on the character um, beforehand. Um, or, or, the, or the way it planned out. But one of the, what, what I was going to say before we took the uh, the Audible break, the uh, audiblepodcast.com slash audiblebooks break. It's uh, a good URL I hear. Yeah, it's pretty good. You, you get all kinds of good stuff if you go to that website. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say is I think we should, um, for the purpose of the discussion, maybe talk about the other plot line, you know, the, inter- the sort of um, inset plot line that is the story of the patient and her adoptive mother and her birth mother um, – uh, and her entire history going back to the sort of events of the Holocaust and the pre-Holocaust uh, Germany. Your phone's like, bleep, bleep. Yes, let's, it, let's it, go there. It yeah. uh, because that was actually a huge That story trunk. was so good. It, I agree. I thought it was I thought fantastic. it was really well-researched and I, just sort of illuminating. And it was an aspect. It was like, at this stage, and to not that, to be really cynical, but like it's hard to tell an original Holocaust story. It really is. Yeah. To me, that stuff justified its word count way more than the than the frame story. Yeah. Um. Which is too bad because I think it's a real shame that there's a book where we say the inset story, the story within a story is fascinating and interesting and well-researched and the frame story is a fascinating device and we're still kind of lukewarm. Right, <laughs> like, right. You know, how much of a shame is that? Right, That's a real right, shame. right. It felt – it didn't – it wasn't – it's not a huge miss. No, I agree. Like I didn't hate this No, no, book. no, no, no. I, did, I yeah. didn't either. But I, given how strong I felt the component – uh, well, many of the component parts were is a bummer, but anyway, it just didn't feel like this like slam dunk that some yeah. of the books we've read are. Like, let's talk about let's talk yeah. about the the Holocaust stuff because I I thought that was really interesting. It was awesome. It was it was really fascinating, yeah. and I the the it did a, it did a really um, the thing that I think you want good historical fiction to do, you know, where it 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 uses as much of the research and the reality as it can. And fills in as many of the gaps as it needs to to be good fiction. Right, and that's I think just to, to, for a bit of a segue here, um, I think that is Wolf, Wolf Hall, Hall is that yeah. just to the highest possible degree. You know, I mean, just to a, a masterful level. And I'll be curious to hear what you guys think of that. Um, I mean, it's garbage. I mean, that, <laughs> that book is nothing but that. So it's a little different, right. and it's a much further back period. Right. So there are more gaps, many right. more Large gaps to be gaps filled. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I think that's what makes good historical fiction, as opposed to just a lot of a lot of trashier historical fiction is just flights of fancy. You know, I mean, right. it's just nonsense. Right. Um, I thought this. I thought the the historical stuff in By Blood was really excellent. That I found mm-hmm. myself researching a lot of the thing. I mean, the individual right. figures. The um, one of the things I, I thought was really interesting was the. Um, um, you know what the Lisbon some like the houses where they would make Aryan babies. Oh, that was that wasn't that what was I was gonna say, but that fascinating. too. That yeah. was really interesting. I never really I was not heard a, the Lisbon. Yeah, I yeah. was not aware of that either. Yeah, I mean, um, it's one of those things you can sort of like imagine as part of the entire Nazi sure like hell machine, mm-hmm. but not. Yeah, yeah, and it's even controversial. She, she frames Shulman's, it as controversial in the book historically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I and Shulman's discomfort with. It even being brought up as a subject of discussion. I mean, Schuler. Sh- Shulman was like L. Ullman and Schuler just brought together. No, no, I oh, thought no. it was Shulman. Sh- who? Oh, Schuler. We were both wrong. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. It's actually she pronounces her name earlier. Oh, and it's Schuler. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. okay, Schuler. 
Oh, or our, our narrator is like, I can't believe she won't even say her name. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I did a, I did a, a, a little portmanteau. Portmanteau in my brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I, 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 again, it's one more thing about the book that is a little too neat and tidy, perhaps, and a little too contrived. You know, the fact that the that the um, that the therapist is German and has these this kind of inherent discomfort with um, some of the topics being raised. I mean, I one of the things a lot of our readers on the forums said was that just to put it a lot more bluntly and quickly than we have been, they just found this book far too neat and tidy and contrived. And I, right. I think that's a totally valid criticism. Yeah. Um, but given all that, I, I still really liked the, uh, the inset story. I mean, and it's the plot. I mean, the plot elements, not necessarily because there are, there are these like side jags where he like fought trails, the woman and goes to the gay bar and things like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So that stuff feels like not all like, part of the package that type yeah. of package but well those moments plot, where the, the plot does feel there were a few moments i mean quite early in the book there was the scene of him just watching the guy in the hotel across the street just yeah. masturbate out the window yeah that was, very, <gasps> that was yeah i was I like what am i quite know what to make of that funny though is i think back on like it's so it's so funny when you think about your experience reading a book because yeah. books take a while to read mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know like this it's book it was like eight time. hours of my life yeah, it was yeah. put into this thing mm-hmm. whatever so like my my feeling about the book and my thoughts about the book at that moment were like, what the what? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but not in a bad way. Yeah, I was yeah. just sort of like, oh you man. And that was so weird that you don't you really see. know what you're into yet. Exactly. Right? You don't know what the book is, is about yet. But so. now I had completely forgotten that that happened. Yeah. Based on the second half of the book. Because like, it's so different than. Yeah. yeah. Like, Although where's the is, masturbating guy? When's he going to come back? <laughs> it almost, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, che- Chekhov's. Chekhov's jerk off, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, it, it did remind me. It, this podcast has not been for kids. Yeah. These books, this book is not for kids. There's no, like a lot of explicit sex in this book. Um, there, there is. You're right. Yeah. Um, I was actually on a. Okay. Can I tell a side, sure. a side story? Mm-hmm. So um, the patient in the book is. Uh, a lesbian at a time. I mean, in the seventies, like she has a very conservative mom, like or not mm-hmm. birth mom, but um, adoptive mom, mm-hmm. and her lesbianism is like kind of like a big deal. Like yeah. it's always they talk yeah. about it a lot. It's and a it makes her it's, issue. Her mom doesn't yeah. like it to even be raised, right? And it makes her feel like an other, and she's kind of struggling with her relationship to it. But she goes on this sort of like a uh, uh, impulsive trip with some friends mm-hmm. to Puerto Vallarta to, yeah. to a resort. And ends up sleeping with like this beautiful woman, mm-hmm. uh, or who I imagine to be a beautiful woman based on the description. And th- it's like a page and a half sex scene, or like a page. And I was yeah. on an airplane, yeah. And I did that thing because apparently <laughs> I just became a thirteen-year-old boy, and I was reading right, it, and it right, was like right. it's like it's hot, steamy. No, I know it's I was on fucking the, steamy. I was on the the, the Muni, the subway reading right. that as well. But and I was I'm just like, sort of like you do that thing where you're like sober. your posture sort of changes yeah, and yeah, you yeah, close exactly. the book. It's like if anybody sees the words engorged clitoris, I don't know yeah. what I'm going to do. I can't get off this plane. Right. You can just get off the next stop. <laughs> you just be like fuck this. <laughs> I'm out. True. I know, but there is that feeling of like someone's going to look over and think you're just like, right. What is this person reading? Right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I kind of like it was cool. I think. I mean, I. I can't remember the last time I read a book that like sex and sexuality was sort of interwoven into a narrative that wasn't necessarily about that mm-hmm, in or such mm-hmm. a nice way. So I well, think she I think actually was, did a really good job with no, that. I, I so. agree. And I think that and the guy in the hotel. Right. I mean, are, I think that's all kind of juxtaposition against right. the narrator. You yeah. Know? Um, um, what was I going to say? Oh, I'm sorry. To go back to the – to go back to – oh, I, I wanted to – you brought up the, the adoptive mother. Right. Go ahead. Um, we, I just wanted to say I, I thought that the relationship between the patient and, and, and her, her adoptive mother was um, 
kind of crushingly believable in oh, a lot really? of ways. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I, that kind of sort of patronizing familial relationship is something that I, I buy. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I don't know. I thought it was, I, I, it was really tough to, to take, but it, but I, I don't know. I bought it. I, I, I totally did. Yeah. I totally did. Um, I don't know. I had a hard, I, I'm sort of the same tone that I've talked about every aspect of this book. There's one moment where they go to, she confronts her mom about being adopted and says, mm-hmm. I need to know everything mm-hmm. you know and tell me everything you know. And she t- comes back to tell her therapist, obviously. That's how we find out about it. And the making of the martinis yeah. and the sort of like the mom, like drink by drink sort of softening, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it starts to feel like they're sitting closer on the couch and things mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. You'll come here and sit down things yeah. like this. And that was a really good moment. But the moment at Pebble Beach in the resort mm-hmm. after she says, hey, mom, like the next time she talks to her, 120 pages later, really. Hey, mom, I went and found my birth mother in Israel. That moment to me mm-hmm. and the wind and the mist and the cold and her mm-hmm. going out on the balcony mm-hmm. felt very melodramatic to me. Well, there were I felt it that way. About the, a lot. It lacked the human yeah. thing that the other scene had. Like a lot of the like a lot of parts of this book i i even felt that way about some of the more successful so even about the more successful scene in a lot of cases right where it felt like almond sometimes was just repeating a thing once or twice too many times you know once or twice too many times back to the martini glass like once or twice too many times to the like i'll feed you one more sentence of information and then i'm going to clam up again and it's like what right. i understand the relationship between these people i understand the pattern that the mother, I understand the hoops the mother makes the daughter jump through. Mm-hmm. At, at a certain point, it just gets to be redundant, and it's right. no longer serving a purpose for me from a literary standpoint. Um, you know, like just like this is a really broad statement, and I, I was thinking about it while you said that. I just the sort of going back to the thing, going back to the thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like the character arcs in this book are so small. Mm-hmm. Like there's like our main character has basically a straight line with a blip in the middle yeah. where he feels like he's coming, overcoming some of his personal demons, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like vis-a-vis his like fucked up relationship with somebody who doesn't know he exists. Mm-hmm. But it feels like everything, like that's the whole book. I guess that's part of the theme of the book, I guess. Yeah. That, that in itself so didn't bother me. Yeah. I just think it would be better yeah. told in a shorter book. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think that's, that's less noticeable when right. I, I, I I think given that character, I think it's totally appropriate that he doesn't necessarily right. have a dramatic arc. Right. But I I think – But he was his, so one-dimensional at times too though is the issue with me. Yeah. Like it just felt like – I I, I want to I'll compare this to like like flawed characters in a novel flash from Evidence of Things mm-hmm. Unseen, which mm-hmm. we read a few months ago. Mm-hmm. I learned so much about that character, sure. what he was capable of and what yeah. he wasn't in – what he was capable of later in life versus what he was earlier in life. And same with Foss and Opal. Mm-hmm. And I just never felt like I, I stopped learning about the narrator. Yeah. I guess if that makes yeah. sense. No, no, I, you, you mentioned that earlier and I do, I told, yeah. I do totally agree with you about that. Um, uh, we keep getting sidetracked, but one of the things I want to say about the, um, the parts of the book set during the Holocaust, right. um, this is a really, I'm just going to say right now, the point I'm about to make is a very facile one, and I know that, um, but it's still it's still a thing that stuck with me, so I'm going to bring it up possibly to my own detriment. Um, it's 
this is such a weird thing to say. In in the culture at large, in sort of modern culture, Jews tend to be depicted uh, purely as um, kind of a cultural, like a vague cultural entity entity that usually has something to do with like dry humor or uh, kind of self self uh, kind of good natured self deprecation, um, th- things like that. It was really interesting to read a book written in 2012 that deals with Judaism almost entirely uh, or, or, or very, very largely as dealing with the actual religious implications of it. You know, I mean, the moments where the, well, and, I mean, and just as a persecuted group, obviously, right. I mean, any, well, it's devoid of those, of those sort of tropes to like, like a better term yeah. that you're talking about in sort of the modern depiction of like, uh, any Jewish person, right? Yeah, the kind of secular Jewish um, kind of stereotype, which tends to be right, really, really heavily drawn upon in modern culture. But um, the you know, I mean, the moments when when she, you know, any, any the character, the mother, I suppose, uh, was um, describing when they were singing like the uh, what is the the, the uh, can't remember the name of the song yeah, that yeah, they yeah. were singing, but these. These, these, these moments of kind of cultural solidarity and religious expression uh, coming out of this um, extremely destructive, cruel right. environment. I mean, th- those were those were heartbreaking, really um, affecting moments for me. And I actually right. went and I found the uh, recording that was mentioned several uh-huh. times in the book of the of. Uh, the Jews at Bergen-Belsen uh-huh. singing after uh, the British liberation, um, and it was pretty remarkable. You should put that on the Facebook page. Yeah, it was yeah. someone. Well, it was someone in the thread about this game. Uh, this wow, game. video games. Yeah, I'm the worst. About this book <laughs> on the idle on the idle forums mm-hmm. has it in a, in a YouTube video. I mean, it's just audio, but oh, they perfect. they they linked it in the thread, cool. which is how I you know I stumbled on it oh. earlier today before coming over here, um, and it was pretty remarkable. And I, I found the um, the narrator struggling with questions of her Jewishness was interesting to me because it's hard it, because again this is a book that's written in 2012 but set in the 1970s and dealing with cultural um, questions of identity that go back 40 years before that um, 30 40 years before that um, it just 30 and years so even. Yeah. yeah right well starting though. Be, because Before that, yeah, yeah. yeah, because the mother starts talking about all of the, the kind of Weimar Republic era stuff. Right. Um, it was strange to me to see someone so anguished about the notion of being a Jew, right? Like she was right. born in the United States. I mean, she wasn't born in the United States, but she, for all intents and purposes, grew up as an American. The patient is an American. The, the patient, yeah. yeah. Um, and... I, you know, even though it's set in the seventies, you sort of think of these characters essentially modern, right? Like the, 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 uh, maybe part of that is because it's San Francisco. And so every time they make a reference to something in San Francisco, that's still there. It just reinforces me thinking about it as a essentially modern story. Um, but it was interesting seeing her. So struggle so forcefully with the notion of being Jewish, which mm-hmm. I, I just found really interesting. Like, right. I don't think, I, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I know I grew up with a, knowing a lot of Jewish people. There was a high Jewish population where I grew up and, um, I, I never got, you know, I mean, it was not something I would ever have assumed right. any of them as 
kids or or, or current or my age as adults now um, struggling with. So right. that was a really interesting thing to see, and then seeing that going back generations and connecting to something um, this this sort of historical line right. in the fiction was, was interesting to me. I, I, I don't know if I have very much to say about it that's insightful. Well, I it really was, enjoyed it. was a surprising thing. I mean, I really enjoyed the overall, I mean, all that stuff plays into the overall theme of the book of, of just self-identity, str- self-identity yeah. and the struggle, like the messiness of self-identity. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, I guess that's the way I would yeah. describe it. Yeah. Like she's Catholic, then she's not Catholic. She's pretending to be Jewish. She's pretending to be pregnant. Yeah. She is pregnant. She's has two kids. She's raped. She's kind of raped. Yeah. You know, like, there's all these like there's this degree of sexual assault upon um, the patient's biological mother mm-hmm. that I think is like extraordinarily well rendered. In the oh, I agree. It was it's like it when you think crushing, re- it was very right. devastating. It was really. Tough. It's not. It's it's in this very like I don't know. Just for this very carefully constructed, thoughtful depiction of subjugation that isn't what you see when you watch like like SVU <laughs> you know like oh, SVU, you know what i mean course. or like what yeah, you yeah, think yeah. of when when people talk about rape in modern culture right. or like just in current in, in media culture well right i mean the the sort of um it's sort of yeah institutional state sanctioned nature of it is, is yeah. yeah and and just i don't know i thought all that stuff was really 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 well done and how confused the principal characters are about who they are mm-hmm. that was the thing that there's not a single character in this book except maybe the mother who's repressed all of it right like, the, the adoptive mother. the adoptive mother yeah. who's repressed all of all of that uncertainty yeah, 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 yeah who isn't just sort of struggling with what they're the rocks in their backpack yeah absolutely you know or even just yeah, like really the blood in their veins mm-hmm. like hence yeah. the title of the book sure yeah and I, so, I mean, it's it's funny because we've been all over the map, I think, on this book about how we actually the, the takeaway. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I loved it, that theme. I agree. And I like it even more having read the book, but I was unable to appreciate all that stuff while reading the book. I agree. The book That's I thought was constantly it, yeah. dragging me away from being fully right. um, uh, kind of taken in by it. But Alan Ullman is clearly like, She's incredibly thoughtful person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like she's just a very thoughtful author, mm-hmm. and I don't. I, mean, think, I think she's a more thoughtful author than she is a kind of prose stylist. Right, right. You know? Like I mean, and I, I hate to comp- just keep comparing, but um, like Marianne Wiggins just mm-hmm. felt like a heavyweight. Oh, absolutely. Like she, like every yeah, word, yeah. every page was, was just, intimidating. And there was if you yeah. struck one word from that book, yeah, yeah. it would make the book worse. Yeah, you know somehow. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel the same with this. No, not at all. Yeah, no, no. yeah. And uh, well, I think that that was an, I think it was an interesting choice, um, personally for that reason because you did every other book we've read so far has either been on the strength of its reputation or based on one of us already knowing the author or the or even the work itself yeah, having read you know it. and this is the first book that we've kind of read purely speculatively i mean we really mm-hmm. didn't know what we were getting into i started to read a review at one point and stopped because it was saying too much about what right. the, i just didn't even want to know anything um so i actually i have not gone back and read more reviews since so i actually don't really know how this book is reviewed but i mean that's an interesting you know it's probably worth it was probably a worthwhile pick in that in that respect, right? right. Like it wasn't a foregone conclusion no, no, that no, no, yeah. the world has kind of decided this this is this book right. is a you know elevated uh, addition to the canon or what have you. I would say just like as listeners to this podcast, 
kind of let us know if that's working for you, I guess. Because like, mm-hmm. if you're using this podcast as sort of what should of like what should I read mm-hmm. as a curatorial thing, mm-hmm. like that's interesting to us, I think. Because yeah. like, that's that's kind of how we were using it. A little bit. It's like I've read this great book. You two, like and Jake, think, who's rarely more, here, <laughs> like you two should read it. You know, and I that's think kind more of often than the, not, yeah. that's how it'll end up being, right? right? Because we need to convince each other. And mm-hmm. I mean, not that it's a hard sell usually, but I mean, we usually have a reason to recommend something, you know, and, and usually that's because one of us has reason to believe, uh, either by firsthand experience or by association, yeah. that it will be particularly good. And actually, we were just recommended a book in a very powerful way yeah, by uh, really a listener, a reader. Um, David, David Farrell, mm-hmm. who just sent Chris and I copies uh, as a present of a book called uh, Lenark by Alistair Gray. And neither of us have heard of it. Neither of us have read it. It's apparently a piece of Scottish fiction that's – it looks formidable. <laughs> I will say that much. Yeah. And that it was just really very nice. So thank you so much, David Farrell. Like, none, none less than Anthony Burgess declared this uh, – well, he says, It was time Scotland produced a shattering work of fiction in the modern idiom. This is it. Gray is the best Scottish written novelist since Sir Walter Scott. So kaboom. Yeah. Big Ian Banks says I was absolutely knocked out by Lenark, the best in Scottish literature in the 20th century. Oh, he's so, blown away. Big names. <laughs> blown away. Big names. Yeah. But uh, so congratulations to David Farrell. You're our new favorite mm-hmm. reader. Mm-hmm. So the rest of you. Get you got a it. lot of room. to. Yeah. To, got a lot of ground. to. <laughs> no, but seriously, that was here. very unexpected to come yeah, that was to, really the, to the studio you. today and find those waiting for us so thank you so much yeah so next month um we're going to be reading cosmic comics by italo calvino mm-hmm. which was uh, one of sean's recommendations yeah it was recommended to me by a professor who i'm not going to say what her name was because i read it instantly when it was recommended to me in my seminar because i had a huge crush on her <laughs> <laughs> there you go and after that <laughs> after that we're reading wolf hall by hillary mantel which i have Talked up so much that it, there's no possible way I could live up to expectations. Oh, I'm expecting, but, I'm expecting yeah, I know, this to be a ground rule It's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Um, I'm not someone who has traditionally read very much historical fiction, and I have kind of a distrust of historical fiction as, as being often kind of hokey and um, uh, what's the word? Kind of, I don't know if pandering is the right word, but kind of did like. Did you ever read the book that everybody read, De- uh, Ghost, Devil in White City? I did, and I did. You hated it, I, didn't you? I yeah. didn't Because it's like it, historical fiction. I That's what you're talking the about, though, information was fascinating. Right. But, Especially the park stuff. But it was let down. The park stuff was the fascinating yeah. part. The All of the stuff about the serial killer, I thought, was really lazy, lazy kind of interpolation into yeah. my... Yeah. I like it. I mean, I, there's sort of that middle ground. It's not pulp, but that's sort of that middle ground of like softball historical fiction, I think, that you... But it wasn't fiction, though. It was like pop... Pop, histori- pop right. history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pop history is probably fiction, what I would call you know? it. There's like a book called the guy, Agent Zigzag that I think is very guy, similar to that also. I feel like... I enjoyed this. Um, for me, I know a lot of people like Devil in the White City. And I, but I don't think it's a wonderful book. No, no, I know, yeah. I know. I just feel like it was neither actual history nor was it historical fiction. It was this kind of mushy middle ground for me that I wasn't into. But, um, but I mean, I'm glad I read it because... Right. The, the material we're burning it. the wolf hall cast right now well you know we're, i don't want so to bog down wolf hall with a bunch of devil in the white city talk but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a big book There's, i don't want it sully wolf hall, uh, look, let hillary mantel's no let me say this now magnum opus wolf with, hall is a is a large book there's gonna be plenty to talk about yeah it's a it's a it's a long you might want to get on it now yeah, you try, if you're, i mean but the good thing about it. this podcast is it'll just be on the internet forever forever so you can listen to mm-hmm. it whenever you want guaranteed for all time for it yeah. will never ever if the, not be on the internet 
if the internet exists, this podcast will be on it. Yeah. That's um, actually our tagline. <laughs> Weird tagline. Uh, really quickly before we end up, I want to say um, about historical fiction. I was going to say in addition to Wolf Hall, the other book that um, that I read in the last couple of years that really um, was a great ambassador of historical fiction for me was The Thousand Autumns of Jacob DeZoot by right. David Mitchell, which you've mentioned uh, the author bit. of Cloud Atlas. Yeah. yeah. Which I think in a lot of ways is is a is a stronger book than Cloud Atlas. Not in all ways, but it's more consistent. Uh-huh. Um, it's less ambitious in a lot of ways. But I but it was a I think a, a really beautiful portrayal of its characters and era. It's set in um, Japan in Japan during the Dutch uh, period of, of early Dutch trade with with uh, the Japanese. Um, another great book. In case we never covered it on this podcast, you should you should read it. Cool. All right, well, thanks very much. Thanks to our sponsor, and that's Audible. And thanks to you. The readers. David Farrell. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest of you are all right, too. Thanks. Um, Write us at books at idlethumbs.net, and we'll see you next month. Bye. Join us again next time on the Idle Book Club, when we will be discussing Cosmic Comics by Italo Calvino. For Idle Thumbs, I'm Alex Ashby.